The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So are we going to start off with the, the wardrobe talk, right? I forgot, I forgot the white collar, but I am here today to take your confession. Look, all I know is this is not the Charles Robinson I know. The Charles Robinson I know is the guy who comes on this show in a T-shirt and a Detroit cap. That's who I was looking for. So I'm hoping I'm not getting that serious guy, even though I know no. as an investigative reporter, I know how diligent, how serious you are about it. But but you got to show the people the real Charles, you know, let loose a little bit here. Yeah, I'm loose. I'm loose. Look. Uh, confession, first and foremost, you don't have to adjust your television picture. Jim Trotter, NFL Network, Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports. Proof that even superheroes take a break. The capes have been turned over for a couple of days to Jim Trotter and myself. And let's be honest, uh, nothing stops in the news world. Deshaun Watson, biggest story today. Uh, the Houston Texans, I, last time I checked, I have not yet been drawn into litigation. You have not yet been drawn into litigation. That that group continues to shrink. Deshaun Watson, uh, today the Houston Texans become a, a, a defendant. And uh, this has been coming. Houston attorney Tony Busby had talked about this before, adding the Texans uh, to the slate of litigation uh, involving Deshaun Watson. Essentially what Tony Busby did today, he came out, filed a suit, and said, hey, the Texans should have known about the behavior of Deshaun Watson. And the first thing I want to ask you, Jim, you and I are very familiar with the entire orbit of this case. Do you think the Texans, given the multitude of time that we've talked about, the expansive time, the number of, of civil suits that have been filed, the allegations that have put forth, do you think the Houston Texans should have known about this? Is there merit here? Yeah, I definitely believe there's merit here. I, the question you have to ask yourself, Charles, is do you believe in coincidence? And is it a coincidence that all of these things are coming out about the Houston Texans after Deshaun decided that he no longer wanted to play for the Houston Texans. Look, when you set up a room for him to have these massages outside of the organization, when someone from the organization hits him to non-disclosure agreements and then has him present those to the women that he is bringing in to, to give him these massages, um, yeah, the organization, I believe, knew something. And the fact that in this in the, in the this um, filing, it says that the organization was made aware of some of the things that were, what's the word I should use here? Um, not necessarily professional behavior. Uh, then yes, I believe the organization did have at least some inkling of what was going on. Yeah, and that's really the the biggest piece of news. I think if we look at this now, is that essentially you have an attorney and Tony Busby who's saying, "Look, they were made aware. We've gone through some depositions in some of these civil suits, and there's an out, outside contractor with the Houston Texans, um, the Genuine Touch uh, Spa. Okay, that was supposed to be contracted handle the uh, massages that that Houston Texans players would be seeking. 
uh, outside of the organization. Obviously, remember, this is during the pandemic. Uh, the, the organization's worried about COVID. Um, so they, they contract with this uh, outside, uh, essentially a massage spa. And someone from the massage spa, the, the owner of the massage spa, according to this lawsuit, went to the Texans and said, hey, there's some things going on here. Like Deshaun Watson, and this is the allegation, one of the key claims in the suit, Deshaun is seeking out strangers from Instagram, um, not necessarily massage therapists, to get these massages. And essentially, you got Tony Buzz who's saying, look, that's the first red flag that the Texans are now alerted to. There's, there's something going on, some behavior outside of the norm here and the Texans really should have investigated that. And I think that's what we're going to start to get to is should the Texans have started to investigate more of the behavior going on with Deshaun Watson? You spoke to it. He had a suite that was set up at the Houstonian Hotel. Also in this lawsuit, there's claims that the team trainer was told, hey, there's a lot of women showing up to the suite when Deshaun's there. And again, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that this is necessarily a complaint, but it was definitely something that the Texans were put on notice of. And then the NDA, the NDA gets provided to Deshaun Watson after he comes, allegedly, you know, something that's been laid out in the depositions, says, hey, I'm, I'm getting information put out there by this individual. Um, I don't know what to do about this. So team security provides him an NDA. And soon after, there's an allegation that Deshaun Watson starts to try to use that NDA in massages. It's hard to look at this situation and not think that the Texans somehow are going to be drawn deeper into this. This feels like there's some element of argumentative merit here. Yeah, it sounds like they were uncomfortable or they were okay with this as long as Deshaun Watson was their starting quarterback and helping them win games. And that that's what so, feels so grimy about this whole thing as it relates to the Houston Texans. Look, I've tried to stay out of this, this case because we have not or I have not actually seen the evidence. Um, we know the allegations that are out there and whatnot. But just based on the fact of what we do know, I will say this, Sean Watson appears to have a problem. And and whether he wants to admit it, whether the team wants to admit it, um, whether his handlers want to admit it, the fact that you would go out and seek so many women for a massage, and many of them were not licensed, and you're circumventing all of the things that the organization, meaning the Houston Texans, had set up for players to receive treatment, um, it does not speak well for him. And it's truly troubling if you, for instance, watch that HBO Real Sports interview and you see one of the women talk about her experience. And there's no way you can watch that or there's no way that I could watch that and say that that woman was not affected in some way in a traumatic way. And so for me... um, it's, it's a truly troubling case, and it's sort of reflective to me that, again, talent will buy you a lot of leeway in terms of what you can get away with. And Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, based on what I have seen um, and what I have read and what I have heard, I believe that he has a problem, and I believe that discipline is in order. Well, you bring up discipline. That's uh, This really wasn't even the biggest news of the week. I mean, uh, going back to Saturday, the Wall Street Journal reports that, hey, the league's going to seek a, a one-year, at minimum, one-year um, suspension that's open-ended. Essentially, 
uh, seek a one-year suspension, at which point Deshaun Watson would have to apply for reinstatement to the league. What's interesting about this is, and you and I had a chance to talk about this prior to the show. You and I were on the phone over the weekend talking a little bit. And on Friday, I had a chance to talk to a few people that were involved in the orbit of this thing. And I had heard from the league side that, yeah, you know, a year was definitely in play. That kind of seemed like the the uh, basement, the, the sort of ground floor level where this would begin. And I reached out to, to someone within the union and I said, you know, hey, this is um, this is interesting that this year really seems to be getting out there. And the response I got was, well, yeah, the, the league wants this out here. This is me paraphrasing the source I was talking to. He said, look, the league wants this out there because this is going to go to an independent arbitrator on Tuesday. It's another piece of information that's come out. This is the crossroads that Deshaun Watson, the Cleveland Browns, in some way, the NFL is also involved in this week. And, and the source said, look, the league wants this out here because they can say, well, we're seeking a year, a calendar year suspension. Now, if this independent arbitrator comes back and says, I've looked at the evidence, Sue Robinson, former federal judge, sat uh, on the bench in that position for more than two decades, comes out and says, you know, I think maybe this is a 10-game suspension. I don't know that the optics of that would be something that people outwardly would be happy with, but leaking that one-year suspension expectation gives the NFL the opportunity to later say, well, she's saying 10 games, we're going to leave it how it is, but we really wanted it to be a year. You feel like this is kind of the league trying to have its cake and eat it too with with Watson and the suspension? Charles, you know this better than anyone how the NFL operates. Whenever there is an issue of consequence involved where the PR is going to be significant, what does the NFL do? It puts its finger up in the air and it checks to see which way public opinion is blowing. And then typically it will make a decision based on that. To me, this is the same thing. This is knowing how sensitive this is that the league got it wrong when it came to the Ray Rice case, that it got it wrong in some other cases as it related to issues involving women. And so now it wants to put out and show that it is going to be tough on this type of behavior. And here's what it wants to do. And just as you said, it gives them cover now if the arbiter comes back and offers something less than a full season. Now, you know this as well as I do. The league can always appeal that decision. And if it appeals that decision, who does it go to? It goes to the commissioner. So that's what I would watch here. If, If the arbiter comes back with something less than a year, will the NFL appeal that and seek a longer suspension? And that will tell us everything we need to know about how they view this case seriously and not just in terms of public opinion. Well, I'm glad you brought up the appeal, too, because that's a really big part of this that I don't think people really understand that this independent uh, disciplinary officer uh, disciplined NFL for the longest time has been this behind the scenes battleground between the union and the NFL. And the message you always got from the union is the system's unfair. Roger Goodell is unilaterally deciding punishment. Um, something needs to be fixed here. So they hammer out a new CBA and they decide, hey, we're jointly going to agree and pay a third party to become someone who gets in the middle of this and finds the middle ground, the correct middle ground, can can lay out a judgment that we both feel like, okay, that's fair. Um, Sue Robinson, this former federal judge, becomes that, that individual. Now, what's interesting here now is if the NFL appeals it, so say Sue Robinson comes back and says, yeah, I see personal conduct violations. I think it amounts to, say, a 10-game suspension. The NFL's already leaked it out there. We think it's a calendar year, which would be 17 games plus postseason if the Browns were able to make it the postseason. If they were to, to then appeal at that point, 
what is the NFL then saying about a process it just set up? And what would they be saying about Sue Robinson, who, given the fact that she sat in a post, in a, you know, a federal post, the bench that spanned over five different presidential administrations, she's got uh, credentials, for the NFL then to go, no, we think you got it wrong. Your first case, the first time you've had really a, a, a case under this new system, a very important case, we think you got that wrong. Isn't the NFL then automatically voiding this new system that it just set up? Yes, but I also believe, as you said, um, as you outlined earlier, I don't believe the NFL will appeal it. I think this has given them cover to say, this is what the independent arbiter said, who, by the way, just happens to be a woman. And she decided on, let's say, 10 games, and they're going to stand behind that, I believe, and then be able to say that we believed that it should have been longer. Now, should they go the other route? Look, you know me, Charles. I always believe that you stand on principle. And if you believe that what Deshaun Watson is alleged to have done actually took place, then stand on principle and do what you feel is right. And don't hide behind the arbiter. That's the way I feel about it. What do you think now, you know, given that we now know where the league stands? Okay, they want a year. They want a calendar year. Taking it away from the front office of the Cleveland Browns, taking it away from um, what's at stake for this decision that they made. And that's something that hopefully you and I will will be able to talk about. Hang on one sec here. Like, when you talk about the Cleveland Browns front office, I feel like I have to say this, that um, I'm extremely disappointed in in Andrew Barry and in the Cleveland Browns front office. From this standpoint, um, the way that this investigation was handled that so much information has come out after the fact, um, I would be more more accepting if the Browns had just said publicly, you know what, we're here to win games. Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. We got a chance to get him. That's what we did. As opposed to hiding behind, we hired a third-party investigator who he or she did their due diligence And we came away comfortable with this process. Look, the reality here is that the Cleveland Browns signed uh, Kareem Hunt after he was caught on tape, videotape, actually kicking a woman. So don't sit up and tell me that you're all about protecting women and you have concern about this, etc. The bottom line in the NFL is winning football games. And I'm just saying, not that I, I would have agreed with it, but it would have been much more tolerable to me if they had just been honest and said, we're here to win football games, and that's why we went after Deshaun Watson the way we did. You don't think, though, that there's any illusions. Anyone who was involved in this process, Andrew Barry, the general manager, Paul D. Podesta, who's the chief strategist, Jimmy and D. Haslam, obviously the owners, Kevin Stefanski, the head coach. I can't believe anyone in that organization is now looking at this and feeling like it went any differently than they thought it could. I, I have to feel like before this... The, the trade goes down before the money is is handed over to Deshaun Watson in in a deal that will shape the NFL moving forward. I have to think all, you know, the the front office, the coaches, have ownership has to sit there and go, this is staple to us for good. So it, it's it's going to have to work out. It's going to have to not only work out on the football field, but there's going to have to be some element of resolution or moving forward or growth or something that has to happen with him off the field as well, or. Ultimately, they're going to carry this with them moving forward, no matter how successful they are. Ultimately, this decision, I don't think any individual who was involved in that brain trust can just walk away from it, ever. 
Uh, I disagree. I, I think the NFL has taught us as long as you win football games to the general public, and I'm not in any way saying to everyone, but I think to the general public, it doesn't matter. People, people just want their football. They want their team to win. And if they, if the Browns do win, and let's say they go on to win a Super Bowl with Deshaun Watson at quarterback, I don't see it hurting the bottom line. I just don't. And maybe that's me being jaded from all these years covering the league. But what do we like to say about the NFL? It's a Teflon league, and nothing sticks to it for very long. And so in that case, I think um, you're right. I believe the Browns knew that there would be fallout from this, but clearly they were comfortable enough um, with that fallout, potential fallout, to go down this road. And here's the thing that, that, that um, is even more disturbing, Charles. So you want to go down this road, you not only go down it, but then you guarantee the entirety of the contract, which mm, it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right in this climate. Why couldn't they have waited a year, you know, let Deshaun play for a year? And I know why, because his representation wanted the new contract. But why not wait a year, let some of this die down, let him play, win games, and then decide to redo the contract and guarantee it? It just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right to me. Well, we'd be kidding ourselves. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. Everything that happened was what had to happen for Cleveland to land Deshaun Watson. The contract had to be what it was. The the absolutely. I mean, the 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 draft picks, everything, the totality of the package, which was mind blowing, had to be what it was, so that the Cleveland Browns could, hand, you know, essentially feel like they've wrangled in a potential top five quarterback for the at least the length of of that deal. Something interesting, though, about the NFL and how they may be approaching this suspension. And, you know, it's gotten buried, but it could become a big factor, I think, for Deshaun Watson financially. If he ends up being suspended for a calendar year, his contract tolls, okay? That means that this deal that they signed actually doesn't begin until after the 2022 season. The reason why that's important, he would have made $1 million this season, right, in base salary. And then he starts earning that $40 million plus each year guaranteed afterward, right? Well, now you toll it a year, and he's earning a million dollars base next year, and you've removed, effectively removed, one year of $40 million plus salary. It's really hard to make that up in the aggregate over the length of your career. Once that money is gone and that contract tolls, that's a heck of a price that, that he would pay financially on top of the suspension. Yeah, but I guess I would look at it another way, too. He's going to make so much money, and I'm not saying in any way minimizes what, minimizing what $40 million is, but he's going to make so much money, He's going to be. it's not going to hurt his quality of life or his kids' quality of life when he has a family or even, even their kids' quality of life. So Deshaun Watson is not going to be hurting financially regardless of what happens here. Again, it just... It, I don't know, Charles. Uh, you know, we hear teams talk about the importance of character and the importance of culture. And then once again, what happens? They find a player who has a unique talent, an elite level talent, and they go down that road and say, you know what? Character matters and culture matters, but only so much as it relates to having, you know, someone who's, who plays the most important position on a field that we can lock up and hopefully win championships. And, and, and maybe that's on me. You know, every time, you know, in many of these cases, I, I, I hold out hope that when someone says character matters, they mean it. Um, but in this case, 
Deshaun Watson, you don't go out and seek women on Instagram who are not even licensed massage therapists and go into a room with a hand towel and, and ask me to believe that you were there for, for a therapeutic massage. You just don't. And if your sexual proclivities is that this is what you want to do, um, then go to parties who are interested in, in, in doing that with you, not to parties who are there as true professionals. Because again, when I see these women talk about it and you see the trauma in their eyes and you hear it in their voice, I just can't get that out of my head. I just can't. And I can't stop thinking about the fact that I have daughters. And what if my daughter had been one of those massage therapists who had gone in that room thinking that she was actually going to, to, to provide a service in terms of a therapeutic massage. And now I got some guy putting his junk on her and trying to get her to do things that she doesn't want to do. And to me, what this speaks to in some ways, Charles, being honest here, is that it feels like this is that old adage about power and privilege. And Deshaun Watson, to me, in this case, comes off as someone in a position of power and privilege who feels that that therefore gives him the right to have control over not only this woman's body, but also her livelihood. And that just doesn't sit well with me. Well, we're going to see where it fits, uh, where it sits with the NFL, obviously, this week. Big crossroads. Tuesday's the day. And uh, obviously, that's something that we're going to be talking about. Uh, later with Jared Bell as well from USA Today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Our man, Vinny Goodwill, Kyrie Irving, the gift that keeps on giving. Kyrie Irving is daring the Nets to let him test free agency. The gamble could cost him Kevin Durant. Maybe his last friend left. I think at this point. That may not be a pretty strong. Vinny, Vinny, what is, you know, I, I read Vinny's columns. It's so great. And, and all I could think of was the scene in barbershop where Terry's man is like, I could do better. You're not even that fine. Like, I, I'm like, <laughs> all right, then he found out, right? Like, at some point, Kyrie's going to find out, right? There's this phrase that we like to use in the community called F around to find out. Kyrie is kind of in that middle spot between cause and effect right now. You know what I mean? Like, this is, guys, this is so odd. If, if when we think about it, Kyrie Irving, part-time player, wants full-time pay. We all want that, right? But we can't actually... Yeah. Get it. We actually have to show up and commit and everything else. You know, that's like adult conversations that you have with like-minded adults. And Kyrie is running out of places to go. I'll give you guys what I think is a perfect analogy. Terrell Owens, I don't think, was done when the NFL was done with him. But so much damage had been done. He had wrecked, you know, so many locker rooms, whether by principle or by choice or whatever it was, that he literally had no other place to go. I think it was his last year in Buffalo, and he was still relatively a productive receiver. I think he had the injury and then came back, and nobody wanted him. 
I feel like that's going to be Kyrie Irving in a little while. Like the small picture is Kyrie Irving's trying to opt out, maybe go to L.A., play for the play, pay for the the, the taxpayer mid-level six million dollars, and then commit long term after that. But Kyrie is going to be 31 years old. Like there's not many more places to go. There's not many more situations that he can go and blame all these other, you know, special circumstances. And it's going to come to a point where someone's going to say, you're not worth the trouble. The Brooklyn Nets, a team with no identity on the NBA map, is saying you're not worth the trouble. They're the second team in the city with the New York Knicks. Do you know how bad you have to be with an identity with the New York Knicks to be behind them? And they're saying Kyrie Irving isn't worth the trouble. How many more teams are going to say Kyrie Irving is? I'm not sure if there's any. You know, Vinny, I'm curious. Am, why am I you- wrong? Why do you think Kyrie, he has to understand all of this, right? I mean, are, are you suggesting self-awareness? Is that what you're suggesting, Jim Trotter? Self-awareness? Asking, is, 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 is there none there? No, I, I think sometimes Kyrie, depending on the day, can be a coherent human being. And he can understand the world going on around him. He can mean well. He can understand the circumstances. But... You know, we live in a world, especially with athletics, exceptions are always made for exceptional people. And he thinks that he is the exception to the rule. He thought he was the exception to the rule with the New York uh, vaccine mandate. And he wound up winning in that in a way, you know, because they relented and the vaccine mandate was lifted. And before that, the Nets let him come back and play road games in a completely unnatural, you know, situation. So whenever Kyrie has, has barked, he's gotten what he's wanted. The thing is, nobody looked at it and said, man, did Cleveland really get bad when he left? No, they went to the finals the next year. Did Boston really get bad when he left? No. A couple years later, they went back to the NBA finals after after he left. So nobody's actually done the math and done the calculus that even if you lose Kyrie, it doesn't mean that you're in such a situation that's not advantageous for you moving forward and Kyrie hasn't had the self-evaluation to say hey I can't keep doing this I can't keep crying wolf and at some point someone's not going to be able to or have the appetite to take me I don't Jim I don't think he has the self-awareness not in the aggregate maybe for an hour at a time but as far as seven days out of the week 24 7 nah he don't have it Mm. see I, I gotta wonder like one of my boys is a huge Lakers fan right and you hear Clippers, you hear Knicks. You know, I've heard, I read you, you know, obviously these are teams in the mix. Everybody keeps talking about the Lakers. And my guy's like, oh, get him and LeBron back together. You know, it's like Ben and Jennifer getting back together. They've gone through their stuff and now they're in a good place. I'm like, ah, it's like Bobby and Whitney. Like, I don't think this is like, they're neither's really in a great place at this stage. Like, I mean, uh, uh, what like why would why would LeBron why I, I understand to me it's almost like you have nothing left like this is it like this is the last kind of play the last sort of grasp am I wrong to think that it, it's a suggestion that LeBron really has no outs and it's two people who really have no outs at this point other than to try to find that magic of 2016 again I mean there's a song that Michael Smith loves on this show and I hate the song and I'm going to bring it up because I feel like there's no better way to, to signify this marriage between Kyrie and LeBron. We ain't getting no younger. Might as well do it. That's what I feel like both of those guys are at. LeBron is stuck with Russell Westbrook, who can't play anymore. And he's stuck with Anthony Davis, who can't get on the floor. 
So, yeah, he's kind of stuck with two guys making $40-plus million. The Lakers don't have the options, nor does the front office have the creativity and the connections to actually augment what LeBron is bringing on the floor. So, yeah, LeBron, why not try that old thing back? And if you're Kyrie, your greatest individual success came when you were in LeBron's shadow. And a couple years later, after you acted a fool and get out of there, you had regrets and said, you know what, maybe I would be in L.A. with LeBron right now because that was the best situation for me. And you know what? LeBron is probably not going to say no. You think he'd rather play with Russell Westbrook or Kyrie Irving? Provided Kyrie Irving actually shows up to work. You know, we, that, there's that little thing called attendance that, that we kind of overlook. But, that, but that's a big thing. Like you just said, you got one guy who can't stay on the floor healthy, and you got another guy then who you don't know if he wants to be on the floor will show up. So, so Bron may find himself out there all alone again. That's why this thing doesn't work for me. But see, Jim, you're using yeah, you're using like human calculus. You are using logic right now. Like this is completely illogical. This is like anarchy. This is almost like Dark Knight, where the Joker <laughs> literally set money on fire, and then he went and set the hospital on fire, and the button wasn't working, and then all of a sudden the hospital went on fire. And he jumped and got. This is what all of this feels like. This is the NBA now. It is fantasy basketball. It is franchise mode. And it is let's just see if this will work because Golden State is a monster and Milwaukee is a monster. And you're not going to get results unless you try something different because team building only works for those two. Everything else seems to be, hey, y'all, let's see if we can get on the group chat and make this work because trusting GMs, that's... That, that's uncivilized. Hold on, Vinny. I gotta take. I, I gotta wait. I gotta take you here for one second because Charles and I were on the phone earlier this morning, okay, and we got to right. talk. You're gonna we bring got, it up. Got, all right, all right. We got to talking about Golden State. Now I grew up in the Bay Area, born in San Francisco. Used to sit in the five dollar seats at the at the Oakland Coliseum Arena at that time. Tell my man Charles that the Warriors might be even better next year than they were this year. Yeah, because of a guy named James Wiseman. Uh, very, very rarely, Charles, do you have a champion with a top-level pick that's just sitting and waiting. Oh, yeah, I remember the Los Angeles Lakers had a guy named James Worthy in 82, and all of a sudden that became what we've seen as modern-day showtime. You swap out some of the old pieces, you get some young pieces in there, and that train keeps on rolling. Why? Because Magic and Steph. And although Steph is older than what Magic was at that time, you're going to have a Clay Thompson who's healthier than he was this year. He's going to know his body a little bit better. And all those young guys that they had that you can only depend on for so much, they have the experience now. And they're going to be able to get a little bit better while Golden State shockingly won a title this year. This was not supposed to be the title year for Golden State. They won it, and now they're going to be better. Next year was supposed to be the year, and actually next year is going to be the repeat year. See, and I'll ask you what I asked Jim, okay? Um, Is it possible that Wiggins... We see what happens in the finals, and it's not like Wiggins. I mean, he's a good player, right? Good player coming in mm-hmm. the finals. People know what he is. You know what his game's about. But I kind of felt like watching that series unfold. I'm like, man, going to next season, you have the big three, and then I feel like you got a fourth guy that maybe now they know they can trust at times, where maybe if everything's not going perfect with one of the big three or two of the big three, you actually have the fourth guy now can be four who who showed in the finals, hey, I can pick up, I can step in and do certain things, certain parts of games that need to be taken over at times. 
I can be there for you. Am I wrong in thinking that maybe that finals experience becomes a pivot point for Andrew Wiggins a little bit? No, you're not wrong at all. I think it's I think it's similar to something like this. If you need Andrew Wiggins to be your second best player, your best player, 82 ninth out of the year, you're going to be disappointed, right? But if you right. need him to be your second best player on a given night, because the defense is, right. is shifted towards Clay, the defense is shifted towards Jordan Poole, the defense is shifted towards James Wiseman, assuming that he's out there and healthy and productive. Oh, I can eat off of these scraps. I can eat this way because I'm that talented and gifted that I can step into this role on a nightly basis, even just, even if it's not just every night, but a night. Absolutely, it's going to be an inflection point for him. And for whatever reason, getting to the finals and getting that experience and becoming a champion, not just going through it, but just becoming a champion, gives you a level of competitive arrogance that no situation is too big. You're not going to panic. And sometimes, guys, you take a win away from a team before they even step through the door. They are intimidated by the fact that you won last June, and now you're staring across from Andrew Wiggins, championship guy, who defended Jason Tatum. And now, basically, he's mentally psyched out before even playing Andrew Wiggins, and Wiggins can go to a 25-point night. So, yeah, I do think it can be an inflection point based off of what that title does to other people. I'm going to say this to you, Vinny, though. As a, as a lifelong Warriors fan, that which I admit to being, Memphis, Memphis ain't going to be no pushover next year. Um, and I would have been fascinated to see how that series played out if John Moran had not gotten hurt. So all this talk going back and forth right now between the, you know, Draymond and, and, and uh, Jackson and, and, and the boys over there, it's going to be a fascinating year next year to see those two going at it. Would you agree that, that Memphis is the biggest threat? Absolutely. I think it's like the old school NBA that I grew up watching or that, that was mythologized to me. It was Detroit chasing Boston for years and years and finally catching them after years of heartbreak. And then while that was happening, Michael Jordan was chasing the Detroit Pistons and after years and years of heartbreak catching them. That's what the Memphis Grizzlies look like. They don't care that the Golden State Warriors were three-time champions, four-time champions, the names on the front of the jerseys or the back. They literally cared less about the pedigree. All they wanted was a shot in between those four lines. And yeah, they played immature during that series. And with John Morant being hurt, that can, you could kind of see how that series was going to play. And I was at that series and watched it sort of develop and take shape once John Morant got hurt. But now when you have that experience as a young team, and the game is no longer too big for you, and you look across the way, and it was like that scene in Rocky IV where uh, Drago cut, he's like, see, he's a man, he bleeds, he bleeds. And you're like, yeah, they, they, they do bleed. We can beat them. And I think even if they don't beat them next year, they're going to inch closer and closer as the Golden State experience becomes age and the Memphis' youth becomes experience. And you're going to meet and cross. And I think, man, if we get a seven-game series there next year, you know, just just don't leave me on the streets of Memphis by myself at night. Other than that, I'll be happy to see it from a basketball standpoint. <laughs> well, speaking of bleeding, I'm glad you brought up bleeding because I'm a Detroit Pistons fan my entire life. I'm ready for the bleeding to stop. It's exciting to come out of a draft, see how excited people are. I was happy that to see Ivy fall to five picking up during in the trade that's great but now I'm wondering like what's gonna happen with DeAndre Ayton right like it's not I have to presume Detroit is is probably gonna sit there and go well we can add pieces here and there rather than doing a max level deal with Ayton am I wrong and what happens with Ayton now 
I believe that Aiton could be used as a piece in a much bigger trade involving a bigger name than Ooh. himself. I'll Uh-oh. just I like this. Uh-oh. I just I just sort of leave that out there and let you guys sort of connect the dots. On on. You know what I mean? I just you know I'm not in a position to say anything, but I had something insinuated to me, so I would just leave it there. But I like him a lot. I think he's you know in the league that's sort of going away from size. He can defend at all three levels. He can post up. He can play pick and roll. Yeah, that that finish with Phoenix was ugly, but I don't think you'll have a shortage of teams who don't have bigs ready and able. I do think, Charles, with Detroit getting Durant in the draft, that lessens their appetite to go and pay someone at that position premium dollars. Right. But I don't think there'll be a lack of interest. I'm And put it like this, as someone who covered the Pistons when they were bad, I, I would I would have quit them. I will say, considering I'm talking to two football guys, July 27th, 1999 was the day that I quit the Detroit Lions, never to return again. And I still have my hair. <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> that is exactly why. My daddy oh, is man. bald. Well, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. He didn't quit. Listen. All right, so if Aiton's going in a deal, if that could potentially happen, you're saying he's not the best player involved in the trade. That's what you're telling us. I'm saying from if, if you can read the tea leaves, if you need someone to be used <laughs> in a bigger trade, and they sign and trade, maybe he can be used as bait. Okay. I got uh, an idea. You want to give us? I got an idea. <laughs> oh, okay. Jim, come on. Like, at least roll it no, out no, and let's no, judge no. the reaction. No, no, no. I'm going to wait on it, but, but I got an idea. I'm, I'm gonna, wait. I'm going to say this. Benny, Benny, you know this. How real is the possibility, if we're putting percentages on it, that both Kyrie and KD – are not in Brooklyn next year. Oh, I like this. That is so contingent on on Kyrie calling the bluff of the Brooklyn Nets and giving up $30 million, right? I feel like at this stage that that relationship has been fragmented beyond return, but it's Kyrie's only thing can happen. Right. If Brooklyn doesn't get anything back of reasonable substance for Kyrie Irving, if Kyrie just walks and there's no sign and trade, he opts out of his contract, and you leave Kevin Durant with Ben Simmons, don't know if he's going to play, and all the rest of those old guys. I don't know if Kevin Durant would be long for that situation. So I would say, as of today, 55, 45, they're gone. I think if Kyrie's gone, Kevin's gone. I'm with you. With Kyrie, anything can happen. They can turn around tomorrow and he'll say, you know what, I'll sign a short deal. I'll figure it out. You know, he'll, he'll be like that long-lost cousin that comes around and he'll be like, you know what, man, I have turned my life around. And then 20 minutes after that, like, <laughs> hey, man, you got $20? <laughs> <laughs> we well, LeBron, Vinny I mean, Goodwill. For, yeah, for, for KD to say I'm staying out of it after not staying yeah. out of any other situation yeah. speaks violence. And the volume is, well, and, and the silence is deafening. <laughs> we appreciate it, Vinny, man. Thanks for bringing it. Hey, hey, appreciate y'all, man. Love both of y'all work, man. Love you. Appreciate you, Vinny. We love yours too, man. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Well, now we're going to bring in a guest. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of the words that I can use to, to let the audience know just how special this man is. He is an OG, which means more than just being old. Um, but Jared Bell had helped set the table for so many of us covering the NFL today. Um, was doing it long before I started. Somebody I read, somebody I looked up to. And for him this year to be the recipient of the Bill Nunn Jr. Award, which means he now has a place in the Hall of Fame. And actually, even more significantly to me, he is now the first black to be enshrined, who will be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame um, as the winner of this award is so significant, so long overdue, and I couldn't be more happy and more proud. And with that, I bring in Jerry Bell, who has been holding it down for a long time for many of us. So JB, how you doing? Oh, pretty good, Trot. Thanks for those kind words. Uh, UNC Rob, uh, great to join you guys. And yeah, Trot, um, yeah, you might say I'm setting the table because um, you have honors <laughs> on your journey ahead as well. So um, it's just, you know, good to be in this spot right now and to be, be able to, to um, you know, relish this moment. It's been pretty cool. JB, what I, I, I'm yeah, I, just curious, though, man, all the work that you have put in over the years, over the decades, to get this type of recognition, I mean, what? How does that feel? What does that mean to you? Uh, it, it's special, and it's it's weird because I've heard from so many people, um, people around the NFL, in the NFL universe, um, from Hall of Fame players to uh, current coaches and GMs and agents and, you know, obviously uh, media colleagues. And so it really has made me just stop and reflect a little bit. And, you know, we don't like to do a whole lot of that because it's always like, what's the next thing I've got to do and what's the next story. But I will admit that this has been um, that moment for me because, you know, I was a finalist like four years in a row. And so when you don't get it, you start thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe it may never happen. And so for it to finally happen was a big relief. And for me personally, it's, it's come at a good time as well as I've been, you know, transitioning with some things in my personal life and um, losing my mom last year. It's, it's really been um, a blessing. So praise God for that, no doubt, first and foremost. JB, was there one, uh, was there point one call or one message that, that resonated with you most? Um... You know, Jerry Jones, of all people, and, and well, I shouldn't say of all people, because I've, I've had a long relationship with him um, going back to my days in Dallas. So it was good to, to see him. And then I saw him. So he sent me a video message, and then I saw him at the um, owners meeting in Atlanta here. 
um, a, a couple weeks after that. And, you know, he expressed some things that um, added a, a, another dimension to it as well, saying that um, the, the value of this award is, you know, enhanced. And, and I didn't even think of it like that. But anyway, I, yeah, it, it's, it, it's weird because I'm one of these people, Jim, um, I, I, I don't like to um, toot my own horn or to brag or, um, you know, to, to really just bask in, in self-glory, if you will. So that's kind of been one of the things as well that has, um, you know, really kind of struck me just in terms of, okay, let's keep it all in perspective because, uh, you know, there, there are highs and lows and ebb and flow to life. You know, I, I, I don't want to leave out Jarrett is a Michigan State Spartan, by the way. I think it's important <laughs> yeah. that we get that on yeah. the record. Okay. That's right. We can never have too many never have too many Spartans in the Hall of Fame. All right. So I want to make sure I get that in there. But I also I told Jim it was interesting because when we were talking about, you know, you Jared and winning this award and I one of the things when I came up, covered the NFL for twenty plus years now, I remember being out and seeing Jarrett talking to owners, general managers, head coaches, and then the next day seeing him throw the fastball, you know, not walking away from, a, you know, a difficult story or calling him. I mean, Jerry Jones. I remember seeing Jarrett write things about Jerry Jones and being like, next time he sees Jerry, it's going to be interesting what that's going to look like. But that's so that is such a immense uh, point of respect that you have when you come up in the industry and you learn and you see people who are not afraid to go, no, I'm going to, I'm going to say what's got to be said. I'm going to report it the way it's got to be reported. And then I'm going to walk into that locker room the next day, or I'm going to walk into that building the next day and know I'm going to see those people. And that's just something that I've, I've always wanted to tell Jarrett that in the 20 years that, you know, I've had a chance to be the, the little baby Spartan following in, in your footsteps. I have always really enjoyed that. I appreciate that, Charles, because I think one of the things that um, I've kind of been driven by or guided by, if you will, is the thought, A, I've got to look people in the eye the next time I see them. And that's, you know, when you talk about um, telling someone's story or getting their quotes or getting the facts right. So you always, you know, you're not beholden to the individual that you are interviewing, obviously, because you're driven and you're beholden to the reader, um, the viewer, and to yourself as a journalist. And so you can really, because one of the things that I see in this business um, is that people do a lot of favors for a lot of people, okay? Mm -hmm. And people protect a lot of people and people may ignore writing about something because one of their sources is um, maybe being shown in an unflattering light or something to that effect. And so um, it's always kind of been my thing to say, I'm going to just tell it like it is or like I see it, because a lot of times it's my opinion, too, now that I'm a columnist. And, you know, you still, even if, even though you are um, tr entrusted to have an opinion, you, you don't want to be irresponsible with that opinion. You want to have your facts straight and you want to have um, good reason for for your opinions and for your reporting on the news and, and, and all of that. But I think the thing that you always have to be guided by is the fact that you are 
writing for your readers and writing for yourself from the standpoint that you have standards that you live by and not writing for the source. And, and I think people respect that in, in the long run. I really do. They may not agree with everything you write, but they can respect that they told you what they thought and they can respect that you had your opinion and you, you know, you tried to express it uh, in a responsible manner. So that is kind of the way I go about it. And it cuts down on a whole lot of confusion as opposed to trying to um, protect someone and soft shoe with someone. You know, JB, we Before don't have we a wrap lot. and get out of here. Go ahead, Charles. I'm sorry. No, go, go, no, go, no, go ahead, Trot. Take it. I, I was going to ask you, JB, along those lines today, we know the story of the day is Deshaun Watson. And I just wanted to get your takeaway on this entire situation and where we're at in this, in this uh, discussion. Yeah, you know, obviously the news of a few days ago with the settlements um, really kind of um, was the shoe that had to drop from that standpoint. And now we're talking about the discipline and the disciplinary officer, Susan Robinson. It's going to be interesting because, A, the NFL has a, and the NFLPA um, has a new disciplinary process. And retired judge Susan Robinson will hear this case and make a decision, which the NFL and Roger Goodell can still come back and and uh, <laughs> disagree with that decision, if you will. That's that's a, a, a real, real weird part of this. But um, I still understand the fact that they, the union and the league tried to get together to have an officer hear it and start from, from there. So that's the baseline. Um, but when you start thinking about some of the other situations, and, and no criminal charges, obviously, um, with with Deshaun, right? Well, not obviously, but not, okay? And so when you talk about that as part of trying to weigh what is a um, significant, if that's the word, or what's a fair suspension, it's, it's going to be real tough when you start looking at some of the other situations, including some of those team owners that we talked about. We mentioned Jerry, and there's been, um, you know, a, a couple situations there that have been unflattering for him. Um, but even deeper than that, Robert Kraft and the situation from a couple years ago with him. And so you look at how the NFL uh, disciplined or did not discipline um, its owners, and now all of a sudden you're talking about personal conduct. Well, what standard are you going to apply to Deshaun Watson, who has no criminal case. So I think that's what I want to find out, like all of us really, is and and, and even more so than what the actual number will be, is how they arrive at, the, at that decision. And you put that into context with all the other cases that have come across Roger Goodell's desk in recent years. Charles, we got one Before minute Before we get left. out of here, yeah. One minute. I just wanted to ask you something that Jim and I discussed earlier. I'm curious mm-hmm. what your opinion is. Do you think, do you think the league will agree? Whatever Susan Robinson decides, whatever Sue Robinson uh, weighs the facts, comes out, says this is what I believe the suspension should or shouldn't be. Do you think they'll they'll just ultimately settle on that? They'll agree with that rather than being that this is our first big decision. Do you think they'll say we put this disciplinary process in place? Now we're going to go ahead and honor it rather than appeal it. 
Yeah, th you know, that seems to be a logical thing to do, Charles, really. But we know that that doesn't always happen. So I think it really, the, the, the bottom line to that answer is, uh, to that question is it depends on what she rules. So if she comes out and rules he needs to sit for a year, the league may want that. And that's kind of what they would sign off on. If she comes out and says, well, no charges, let's look at what happened with Ben Roethlisberger a few years ago and give him four games, then the league may push back on that. So it's it's tough to predict. And it's, but, but really, I think the logical thing to do would be to say, and then the union would have to be on the other side saying the same thing. But basically, we, we came up with this system. We entrusted this, you know, neutral um, um, disciplinary officer. So let's roll with it. JB, we got to run, but we appreciate you, man. And so happy for you and proud of you. So look forward to seeing you in camp. Uh, hey, thanks a lot, Trot. And see Rob, you too. Can't appreciate wait. it. Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right. Well, Trot, that's a wrap. We got the Deshaun Watson hearing on Tuesday, the beginning of the end, the end of the beginning. I guess we're going to find out. Oh, uh, we got a couple guests coming in tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that before we got to give the capes back. Anything you want to say going out? Don't talk about the Warriors. No more Warriors stuff. We got enough Warriors. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. First of all, I can't believe how quickly time flew. Secondly, now I've got to go in the closet and find me a blazer so I can keep up with you tomorrow. You know? <laughs> Other than that, that's how I'm going to spend my day, man, trying to find a blazer. Like I said, I just try to keep up with this, all this you got going on there. What, age? Age? The so gray hair? So perfectly put together. You know, so the gray hairs? <laughs> uh, all right. I'll see you on Tuesday. You. All right, brother. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.